If you want to turn to Matthew chapter 5, which we call the Sermon on the Mount, and as we think about these chapters, what we see is that this is the wisdom of the Old Testament being manifested in the teaching ministry of Jesus Christ. Now, in Colossians chapter 2, verse 3, Paul speaks of Jesus in his glorified nature and speaks of him as being the one in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In Luke chapter 2, verse 52, it speaks of Jesus at age 12 at the time that he was at the temple. And it says after this that Jesus kept increasing in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and with men. And that at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, it says that when Jesus had finished speaking all these things, they realized that he was speaking to them as one who had great authority and not as one of the teachers that they were used to. Now these are the things that we see about the wisdom of Jesus. And the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus bringing to us God's wisdom for the entire life of man. It's being taught by Jesus. It's to be mastered, not just learned, but mastered by us who are followers. When I was uh, in college learning to be a teacher, one of the types of uh, teaching they talked about was mastery teaching. And that view of teaching was you could not proceed to a new level until you had shown that you had mastered the first level. And this is really the call here that Jesus is calling it. It's the beginning of this gospel message. And it's, it's a message that we are to seek to master. We're to be masters of the wisdom of God as it's manifested in the teaching ministry of Jesus. Let me read a few of these verses in uh, chapter 5. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are, a light, you are the light of the world. A city uh, that is on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. 
but instead they put it on a stand that it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Do not think I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth. Until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter of, or the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything has been accomplished. Anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commandments will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees, and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. You have heard that it was said to the people of long ago, do not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, is answerable to the Sanhedrin, and anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of hellfire. Well, as we look at this passage of scripture and we think this is the wisdom of Jesus. Now, in these, what we've read so far, what we end up seeing is Jesus is first of all telling us about the blessing that comes from God the Father to those who follow after him, the Lord Jesus. And then that blessing that we are received in the next section is not for ourselves only, but that blessing is something that is to be evident and manifested into others so that our good works, first of all, would glorify God and that our good works would then be a means of bringing other people to God as they see the good works manifesting our Father in heaven. Then Jesus goes on to say that all of his teaching perfectly illustrates God's Old Testament law. And we learn in the next verse, verse 20, that the Pharisees' leadership is absolutely insufficient to lead them in life. I think that's a fascinating statement that he makes there at the beginning of the ministry. But Jesus then begins with murder which is the beginning of the second tablet of the law. And we want to look at that for a few minutes. Now, in the Beatitudes that we see here, Jesus is promising us his Father's blessing. That is the key thing. You may be here right now and you say, well, I'm a follower of Jesus. You need to understand as a follower of Jesus that you are the possessor of his heavenly Father's blessing. His Father's blessing rests upon each of us. Now, it says here in the first section of this, in, in verse 3, that it's blessed are the poor in spirit. And here he's talking about people that are just like us. These are men and women who are so actively engaged in the everyday affairs of life that the affairs of our everyday are basically pushing out of our purview any kind of feeling or emphasis on the kingdom of heaven. Our life is just totally filled up with the things that make their demands on our life and the things that we choose to add to our life to such a point that, well, 
there's not room for anything, especially anything that's unseen like the things of God. Now, why is Jesus calling these people blessed? Well, what have they done? The one thing that they've done is, is they've come to realize this about themselves, and they put themselves in the presence of Jesus. That's what's happened to them. Now, it's sometimes hard for us to grip this, but if we can grip this, I think it helps us. If Jesus was in the room today as the guest preacher and you didn't know any better, you just might think that Jesus was just a really great preacher. You might not, at this stage in the ministry of Jesus, see anything more than that. Jesus appeared to these people mainly as a great spiritual teacher who had mastered keeping the things of God front and center in his life at all times. And because they saw that he was able to do this, they then came attaching themselves to Jesus' teaching so that someone who had mastered this skill might impart to them a means by which they too might make God more front and center in their everyday living. Now, how did this come about? Well, it came about because God the Father put in their heart a sense of this poverty. It's not that they came to this on their own and they just woke up one day and a mass of people. Just think, if, if, if you could think of it this way, maybe there's four or 5,000 people here. And you say, well, four or 5,000 people woke up one week or one month and decided that they were poor in spirit, all by themselves, independent. No, that's not at all the way things happen. God had put this in their heart, that they needed a better relationship with him, and they just really had no idea how to do it. And they learned about Jesus. And then God brought them to Jesus, and as Jesus began to teach them, he began to show them how this is to be realized in their lives, how they can actually come to the point of keeping the Lord and his work more front and center in their uh, thoughts day by day. The main reason that you can do this is to know your position, to know your position as being blessed by God. You notice that it's a repetitive theme through here. These people that are coming to Jesus are coming with empty cups, and Jesus is promising that he is filling their cups. That's the key thing that we want to see. How is our cup going to be filled? Well, the songwriter says it this way. We come to thee again. We come to thee again. We come to thee again. How do we get our cup filled? We keep Jesus and we keep the kingdom of heaven before us by our continuously coming in ways that he has ordained, using the word of God, using activities like we're doing here on Wednesday. Some of you are involved in small group Bible studies throughout the week. You're involved in the public of worship of God on uh, your, the Lord's Day. 
in things of this nature. Of course, we've got a lot of other avenues and ways to do this, and if we're able, we ought to avail these things. Uh, my daughter is working full-time now at a library in Milledgeville. Well, that's almost an hour for her to go up during the rush hour, and it's about an hour most times when she comes back. She uses the gray highway, and that always slows her down. Now, she's also taking two online graduate courses in library science, and you can get the sense that her life's pretty filled up. How did she cope? Well, she's got her little iPhone thing, iPad, and so what she did is she got a download of, of one of the Bible translations. And so as she's going back and forth to work, she has got the Bible that is being read to her as she makes this journey up and back from Milledgeville. It's a wise use of her time. There are many ways that we can do this where we come to the Lord Jesus. And what's the promise is theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What does this mean for us? It means the sense that we understand that and truly we are being blessed by God. That's true. You may not see the blessing of God all the time. Then there will be other times when it will be so evident to you, he just almost knocks you over the blessing of God. But the blessing of God comes with the answers to prayers. You're making prayers about various things. You're seeing things answered. You're having people come to you and talk to you, and they encourage you in things of the Lord. There are ways that you're kept from sin. There's just all manner of ways, if you look at it, you can recognize that the kingdom of heaven is breaking forth increasingly in more areas than we recognize in our lives over and over again. So together we're worshipers of Jesus, together we're recipients of God's blessings through Jesus, and together we are recipients of the promise of the kingdom of heaven. If we can see this, and I'm going to come back to this in a minute, when we mess up big time, how do you feel? Well, I hope you don't feel condemned, but I would hope you might feel yourself poor in spirit. Oftentimes, Chip says people come to counseling, they've got a world of problems ganging up on them. Now, he tells me, and I've heard him from the pulpit say, First question I ask him, tell me about your devotional life. Poor in spirit. If we're poor in spirit, where do we go? We go to Jesus. What is Jesus? He fills our cup. We see the kingdom of heaven coming into our lives in a fresh way. Now, the second thing is we see Jesus goes on here. There are those who mourn. And it says that they will be comforted. And again, have they come to this point of mourning? Well, they've come to this point of mourning because of God's law. They realize there's something that they've done in God's law that is a violation of God's law. At the same time, there's a sense of the work of the Holy Spirit in their lives, bringing them conviction that they have transgressed this area of God's law, They've sinned against God. They may have sinned against somebody else. Normally, that's the case. We think of this in a classic way in Psalm 51. 
King David realizes it's against you. You only have I sinned and committed this iniquity. But it was against Bathsheba. It was against her husband. It was against the people of Israel. It was against a lot of things. And what does, Paul, or what does David say? Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of your salvation. This is a classic sense of what happens to us. David's a believer. This is the course of events that took place in David's life. This manifests itself normally in much less traumatic ways of sin in our life with regularity, week in and week out. And what should we do? I mean, there's times when I offend people. I'm the guilty party, and all of a sudden I realize what I've done, and I feel terrible. And I may, it, some people, this stuff just drops off them. They're like water off a duck's back. Normally, it hangs around me for a week or two. And I'll just sit there and I'll grieve over it. But I'm not just grieving over it. I'm coming to the Lord with it. And I'm mourning before the Lord. And over a period of time, the Lord brings the types of restoration in the relationship brings a sense of the restoration of my spirit and takes away the grief and pain and, and begins to restore a, a, a sense of joy in my life. But here's the new element for these people. The new element for these people was bringing this to Jesus. They had seen again that Jesus was a master and as a master, he was a master teacher. And so they began to come to Jesus with the idea, if Jesus has mastered this, then he can help us to master this as well. And that's what they're coming to him for, to get this kind of help, to be the one that is the one that cures their soul's sorrow. I, I'm just, I could tell you year after year, of stories where the Lord has cured my soul's sorrow. And I, you should be able to have these testimonies. You may not be sharing them with just everybody, but there'll be times when other people's soul is in sorrow. And you'll want to be able to share some of these ways in which the Lord's came and healed you. God sent his son, Jesus. Jesus came just as it says in Isaiah 53. It was prophesied that he would heal the sin-sick world by bearing the sins of many and making them right with God. Surely he has borne our what? grief. A man acquainted with sorrows. By his stripes we are healed. This is the Jesus we bring our sorrows to. What does it mean to be comforted here? They shall be comforted. Well, from the Old Testament and now to be fulfilled later on in the sacrificial ministry of Jesus, it's like this. It means knowing that God's not angry with us. That's that doctrine of the cross that we call propitiation, where the wrath of God that's due us for our sin falls on Jesus. 
That's Isaiah 53. Having our souls comforted meaning, means that we no longer have a sense that we're alienated from God. This is the New Testament doctrine of re- reconciliation, that we have been reconciled by the blood of Christ's cross, and he has established peace. We make songs like this, when peace like a river, and I got the peace that passes understanding where... All right. It's got to be down in your heart for a reason, though. It's because of the comfort that Jesus brings through the cross. Satan cannot hold us in bondage. We've got all kinds of friends who allow Satan to hold them in bondage when they mess up like this. But what does it mean to be comforted by Jesus? It means to experience his redemption. We're redeemed from our bondage to Satan and we're set free to the glorious liberty of the children of God. That's what this means to be comforted by Jesus. It's his sacrificial blood. We come with a guilty conscience. We come to Jesus, we confess our sins, and his blood cleanses our conscience from dead works. This is comfort. It means that sin is atoned for. In other words, it's put away. Their sins and their lawless deeds, I'll remember them no more. they be as red as crimson, I'll make them as white as snow. I'll bury them in the depths of the sea as far as the east is from the west. That's atonement. This is what Jesus accomplishes on the cross. We say these are the things that Jesus does. He makes us right with God. That's the word justification. He comes in and he sanctifies us and he makes us clean. So Jesus' comfort is a thorough comfort. It says of the old, some of the false prophets in the Old Testament that they have not healed the wound of God's people. Jesus comes and through his ministry he comprehensively heals our wounds and gives us his comfort. Now, I want to shift gears to verse 13 through 16 and say that God's wisdom is to, for us to be blessed as the people of God and in God's wisdom that if we're the blessed people of God that we're going to shine that we're going to be like salt in this culture, that we're going to be like light in a dark world. We are not merely blessed to be blessed. We're just not accruing blessings, so we have this wonderful, warm, and fuzzy glow that I'm a blessed person. No, we're a blessed person to live in relationship with other Christians who are weak in blessing to encourage them, We're to live as blessed people knowing that there are people that have never gotten the blessing of God through Christ Jesus. And we want to let this light shine before men. We want it to bring glory to our God and Father in heaven. You know, I don't want to say what I recognize all the time in uh, uh, professional sports. But what do you see happen so often now? When somebody hits a home run and they get to home plate, they do something like this, and then what do they do? They point up like that. 
You see it in the NFL over and over again. Somebody scores a touchdown. The other day I was watching one. The guy got right down on one knee. What are they trying to say? They're giving a testimony. We need to recognize that's what they're doing. We need to be a testimony. We may not be at a public limelight like they are, but we're mixing it up with people that we need to be mixing it up with so that they'll hear the gospel through somebody that's recognizable to them, you and me. And that's the means here. Negatively, we must never let these lose these qualities, and negatively, we should never abuse these qualities. You can see that in there. We don't put our light under a basket, and we don't let ourselves become unsalty. We are going to take this blessing and make it known to the world. Paul picks up on this. He says, you were bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. And that's what Paul's talking about here, so that other people can see it. Now, in verse 17 through 19, Jesus tells us that his entire ministry is in complete harmony with God's law as recorded in the Old Testament law and prophets. There's nothing that Jesus ever does that ever breaks stride with anything that is in Genesis to Malachi, not even once. And when we look at the next verse, verse 20, Jesus is being equally clear that the Pharisees will lead people away from God's kingdom. Jesus goes on to say that their righteousness is no righteousness at all. Later yet, he says their righteousness is to be seen by men. And towards the end of the ministry, what does Jesus call their righteousness? Scribes, Pharisees, what's the next word? Hypocrites. Following teachers matters. Jesus is the master of life, and the Pharisees were masters of small worlds, their own. And Jesus is the master of the universe. We follow Jesus, and we can live anywhere. Now, looking here and thinking we're not going to do a good job on anger. The number one problem in the culture is anger. Jesus would agree with Dallas Willard's statement when he said anything that can be done with anger can be done better without it. Now that's something to take home. Anything that can be done with anger can be done better without it. Basically, anger is a natural response that comes up when you're threatened or blocked. Anger can be righteous anger. Anger can be nothing more than a reflex. But the anger that Jesus is talking about here is not that kind of anger. He's talking about a destructive kind of anger that still resides within us that needs to be dealt with. To a great extent, this anger comes when we are actually offended by somebody else, or when we take offense at somebody else, maybe because they're just a threat to us. They haven't actually done anything. Man, anger can manifest itself in a general way, he says in verse 22, but it can deteriorate into debasing language. 
And as anger gets going, it can go further and plunge into the depths of degrading language. And that's why in our culture today, when you see people getting anger, they use the coarsest and the foulest of language. Now, we used to say things like this. Often what you say says more about you than it says about me. And if a person is capable of thinking these kind of thoughts, this is what Jesus' Father is helping us to realize, that there is work yet to be done in our own heart when we find ourselves responding this way to anger. Now I'm going to come quickly to a conclusion by saying when we go through a self-discovery like that, and it happens all the way through this next section of the Sermon on the Mount. When we come to a self-discovery like that, we are never left alone. We go back to the Sermon on the Mount, verse 3 and 4. We should see there are poverty in spirit. If we're capable of thinking those kind of thoughts, speaking those kinds of words, acting in those kinds of way, it's not by the Spirit that we did that. And we need the Spirit. So we come back and we rehearse what's said here. We bring this back to Jesus. If after doing this we find that we're mourning, I can't believe I did that. Well, you did. And it's an evidence that it's still in there. And it's a means for which you should mourn. And when you mourn, what do you do? Mourn alone and just be some kind of groveling nutcase? No. You bring it to Jesus and you mourn before him. And you go through these things of the cross, the anger of God, blah, 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 right down the list. And pretty soon you say, okay, I'm dealing with it the way I should deal with it. This is the master of life helping you, helping me have a life that demonstrates he's in us and demonstrating that not only to us, but to the watching world for the glory of the Father. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity to look at your word and study your word and to be blessed by your word. Help us. Help us to turn to Jesus. That's the most key thing that we can do in all of our problems. Bless us as we leave. We're your children. We thank you in his name. Amen.